This podcast was brought to you by Changing Habits and the What's With Wheat documentary. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And joining me all the way from the stunning Sunshine Coast is Cindy O'Meara, who's a nutritionist, best-selling author, international speaker, and founder of Changing Habits. But she's not your typical nutritionist. Cindy disagrees with low-fat calorie-counting diets, believes chocolate can be good for you, and thinks cheating and eating yummy food is an important part of a well-balanced diet. Cindy must be doing something right because she maintains a healthy weight and has never in her whole life taken an antibiotic, painkiller or any other form of medication. Cindy graduated with a Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition from Deakin University in 1984. Her special interest was ancestral foods. At the end of her degree, she was so disillusioned by the nutritional guidelines that she paved her own path and stayed clear of the low-fat diets of the day and not without controversy. Her groundbreaking book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, became an instant bestseller, and from there she has grown a successful organic food company, certified online educational program, and groundbreaking documentary. Cindy is about educating. Her greatest love is to teach people in order for them to make better choices in their life so they too can enjoy greater health throughout their life. Her unique, surprisingly simple and down-to-earth approach challenges and encourages others to eliminate unhealthy habits and has inspired thousands to make smarter choices about the food they choose to put in their body. Welcome back to FX Medicine. Cindy, how are you? I'm good, Andrew. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) You've done a heck of a lot in your life and you've done a heck of a lot for so many others. Um, and, you know, I, I've got to say, you've been a bit of a, a trailblazer and a rebel rouser uh, with regards to dietary advice. Today, we're going to be talking about the ketogenic diet. So now this is something that is not without controversy. So I think firstly, we need to understand what really is the ketogenic diet, because I think a lot of people get it wrong. Yeah, the, the ketogenic diet is when um, the, the body stops using sugars or glucose or carbohydrates in order to fuel its day-to-day activities from running to the, your micro, you know, to your cells, to everything to do with energy needs. So it stops using those and it starts to use fats, which are converted in the liver to a substance called ketones. And there are two ketones that the body will make. Um, there is a, you know, there's some controversy that there is a third one, but people have said it's not exactly a ketone. But um, your body will use them, and and it's mainly to, um, it's for the brain. It's for the brain to continue to work. It's the most energy uh, starved food, like part of our body, and it needs these ketones if carbohydrates are not available to us. And we have a wonderful storage of fats in modern day in our our fat cells. And so once you stop eating carbohydrates, and let's just say you even go on a fast, um, your body will start to use the fats that you have stored and create these ketones and keep you going until the next carbohydrate's available to you. Okay, so uh, this is something that really interests me. Was its um, birth 
in the medical use of uh, or treatment of epilepsy or certain forms of epilepsy. Is that right or was it before well, then? No, I think it was long before then. I think it was probably a million years ago that the birth of the ketogenic diet started. So let's give a couple of examples of it. Yeah. Let's say that um, you live in the desert region. Let's let's take the Himbers of Namibia. There are a group of people who live in the desert region um, of Namibia. There's not a lot of food available to them for the most part. They live on dairy food and occasional sacrificial um, meat. So they may um, kill one of their goats in order to have meat in a celebration. So their diet is ketogenic. They do eat very little um, carbohydrates. But when carbohydrates are available due to a good season, they will eat those carbohydrates. So the ketogenic diet was a diet that came about because no carbs were available due to maybe a cyclone in Papua New Guinea where the Catavas, who are carbohydrate eaters, had no mangoes or papaya or banana or any of the tropical fruits available to them. Mm. And all they had was fish and perhaps coconut. There we go again. We've got the ketogenic diet. So it was a – we are the only um, animals on the planet that go into ketosis. We're the only ones that convert our fat to ketones in order to survive. Right. And I find this absolutely fascinating. And so it, it's historically, it was a survival diet. Um, but it also was if there wasn't a lot of food around, we would use fat stores that we had stored through a very good season, such as a summer um, season where we had carbohydrates available to us. And then all of a sudden there's no food available and, and, and we can't even catch an animal um, and so we would go into ketosis when we were fasting as well. So it, it's it's two ways to go into it. One is don't eat um, or eat minimally under 500 calories per, around that amount. And the other one is when we actually created in modern day where uh, we are eating a lot of fat, um, moderate amounts of proteins, very small amounts of carbohydrates. And, and, and that is basically... Uh, what we're doing now is we're beginning to go into this manipulative way of getting into the ketogenic state. Right. So I was going to ask next about its modern use. It was, you know, popularized yeah. by doc Dr. Atkins. Are there any other earlier proponents other than him? Well, we, they noticed that um, it helped children with epilepsy. Yeah. And I can't even remember the year that this was happening, but it was like 1930s. And they also now know in this day and age that if no drugs work with children with epilepsy or seizures, then this will work, the mm. ketogenic diet will work. But way back in um, the early days, they were worried about it. They were worried that it was going to cause heart disease. They were worried that it was going to cause all sorts of issues with these children. And, um, and, and so it wasn't popular. And I, I, I remember this so well. I was... Um, in Sydney, in Manly, I was staying at a hotel and I noticed there was a bunch of neurologists um, that were um, at a conference and I happened to get into um, a lift with one of them and I just said, oh, you know, what are you guys doing? And they, he said, oh, we're neurologists and we're just doing epilepsy. And I said, oh, are you looking at diet? And he said, no, we did that this year. last year. This year we're doing medications. Um, and how to manage these these people that have seizures and epilepsy. And I said, um, why would you not do diet now? And mm. he said, oh, gosh, would you do that diet? It's it's too hard to stick to. So his his whole belief was that 
why would you put a child on it? It's a terrible diet. You don't want them to stick on it. Or why would you put an adult on it? Because we have many adults now with epilepsy and, and seizures. So that's their attitude as, as far as, you know, that conversation went in the lift. But I thought the whole thing was that it was especially useful in intractable yeah. seizures that were poorly um, responsive to treatments, to existing treatments. To the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's depending on whether the, the doctor that is, you know, helping the patient is going to offer that or offer a new drug that they're looking at. Yeah. So, yes, definitely. Diet is the last option, which I find. Crazy. Um you're crazy. Mm. It should be the first option. It should be given to these these kids um, and adults as a first option. Yeah. But I, like I, one of my daughter's friends um, was diagnosed at 21 or 22 um, with epilepsy, and I said to her, you know, changing diet will will change all this. Um, and Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride believes that epilepsy is the way the brain is cleaning itself. And um, so I said to her, you know, if you change your diet, and she said but I'm out having fun and I enjoy my life and I'll just take this drug. Right. So it's attitude. Yeah, mm. yeah. So what about its modern use in other things, like just for good health or for weight loss? Yeah, look, it, it has a lot of applications and, and we're finding the applications um, and they're doing some research on it um, and, you know, the applications can go from you know, weight loss definitely because you, as long as you um, are using your fat cells to go into ketosis, it works really well. Um, where how it's helping in cancer, but it's also the research is is twofold. Some of the research is saying it doesn't help, and some of the research is saying it it does help. And I, I read a really interesting article on this recently, and um, people who sometimes go into ketosis don't feel well. They feel sick. Uh, they struggle to get into it. Um, their digestive systems don't work well. They, you know, they um, have all sorts of tiredness. And and then there are other people who go straight into it and um, feel the best they've ever felt within a very short period of time, like 48 hours. And what this article was saying was that people who are not on the SAD diet, so the standard Australian diet, standard American diet, yep. um, and people who are eating well are more likely to shift into ketosis very, very easily as opposed to people that are on refined carbohydrates, right. have been pushing their insulin levels up, have uh, you know glucose in their system that's way too high, in their blood system that's way too high. So, um, And it makes so much sense. It, um, it, it's, it's like to me, it has so many therapeutic adaptations that we can do yeah. for people. Yeah. And I've even seen it done with heart disease. So, so are you finding though that that these people that are on a poor diet, these are people that have the worst shift when they yes. when they um, the worst experiences when they if they try the um, ketogenic diet. Is that right? Yeah, that that's what I I see is that um, they seem to um, suffer longer. Yeah. Uh, so one of the, one of the things that um, one of the programs that I do for people is a is a low dual diet. And even though I don't believe in calorie counting, why I do this very low um, calorie diet is to shift people into the winter of the hunter gatherer, which would have been their ketogenic state. Yeah. And there may not have been the fat available because in the winter, the animals were not um, giving produce as much. So they may not have had um, fat meats. They would have had lean meat. Mm. They may have found a few green greenery around, and, and that's about it. 
that will shift someone into a ketogenic diet. And if they've been eating fairly well, it takes them about 48 hours. If they're not, it can take up to three weeks. Right. And especially women. Women go um, take longer to get into a ketogenic state than men. Okay. And my belief is because of fertility. So an adaptive. Yeah. Like a, a physiological yeah, it, adaptation. Yeah. And so when, when a woman is... is um, prolonged ketogenic diet, they will go into intermittent infertility because that was the survival of the species. Mm. So if there's no carbohydrates around um, and you've got no fat on you and you're on a ketogenic diet, the body is going to say, well, there's not enough um, food for me to survive a pregnancy through a winter or a bad season. So if, if we look at an historical perspective we begin to understand that staying in a ketogenic state is probably not what the human body should be on unless it's a therapeutic reason. Right. So but That's the way I look at it. Yeah. So going into the therapeutic reasons, like I remember um, a two-year study, and it, I, the thing that I always remember about this is that it was at a quote-unquote an Israeli nuclear power facility. Right, yeah. so, so it was a controlled environment. So I'm gathering that what these people would do is they'd come to work. Now, I don't know whether they lived there. That, that's the, where's the other meal? But anyway, um, but they stuck to either a high-carb, a ketogenic or a Mediterranean right. um, diet. Oh, yeah. And it was over two years. And you got an, a very quick drop in both weight but also lipid profiles as well with the ketogenic mm. diet. Next, followed by the Mediterranean diet, um, carb diet, poor response, um, poor yeah. benefits. Um, the thing that I noticed, though, is that over the two-year phase of the trial, the Mediterranean diet was only just worse, if you like, for weight loss than the keto diet. So here's my proposal to you. Do you find the ketogenic diet is better short-term as a rescue thing, and then you move over over to a more of a, a cultural diet, or do you advocate the use of long-term ketogenesis? No, I agree with you entirely in the first statement, is that ketogenic diet is um, a good kickstart into changing, because it, it not only changes um, what's happening inside the body, it actually changes taste buds. It changes uh-huh. um, your perception of things as well, so your brain starts to work so much better. Yeah in that state, especially if you've been doing the low-fat, high-carb, highly refined diet with margarine and poor fats um, like canola oil and rice bran oil and grapeseed oil. When you move into that um, keto adaptation, and that will that will be hard for those people, but when they move into it, it they actually start to feel amazing. But I don't like that prolonged state. I love them to go then into... A cultural diet. If mm. it's Mediterranean, um, that's great. If if um, that's something different than the Mediterranean, where it's maybe meats and rather than fishes, then making sure that you eat the best of those foods as well. Yeah. But I find if you get them in that state, it cleans their system out because it is also using fat cells that may have toxins in them. Yeah. So this so, is where I was going next. Is like what's in the yeah. things you're liberating. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but you also mentioned just before about. It's it's use in other things other than epilepsy. So in, for instance, autism. 
yes, um, we're seeing um, in autism um, huge changes. Now, is that change because we're going away from the sad diet mm. and putting real foods in, changing the microbiome, which then changes the gut-brain axis? Uh, is it because there's no sugars and we're giving ketones to the brain as opposed to sugars? It's, you know, so there's there's many. To me, there's many reasons why it would help if if they have seizures with autism. Um, I, you know, I know that the the ketogenic diet reduces those as well. Uh, so, uh, like we're seeing with autism, diabetes, even heart disease, I've seen patients um, who have done the ketogenic diet with heart disease and reduce their serum triglycerides. Yeah. As long as they use different fats, not because remembering that we are all genetically, um, we can turn our genes on and off. We're all genetically similar, but we also have some variables and some alleles and some mutations. And so some people will be able to handle the saturated fat as opposed to others that will need to be on monounsaturated fats, which is like our olive oil. So, you know, you can either get a gene test to figure that out or you can figure it out yourself by listening to your body. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, I've been on this for a long time, 33 years I've been in this diet realm and I really listen to my body. And I had a gene test done and had the results. And I noticed that where I had alleles and, and issues, I had intuitively adapted to what my body needed in order to live um, the best life that I can live with any mutations or alleles that I had. It was, it was absolutely fascinating, actually. But for somebody who's on the SAD diet who does something like that, it gives them an indication very quickly that they're better off on olive oils and monounsaturated fats as opposed to saturated fats. And it will also give them the, the option of, can I convert a plant-based omega-3 into EPA and DHA as opposed to, do I need to eat fatty fish? So um, these are all the things that we're... We're beginning to learn as we not only start to manipulate the foods that we're consuming, but start to look at the epigenetics on our our gene expression and using food nutrigenomically as um, a source of of turning the right genes on as opposed to you know, putting the genes on that'll make you know create sickness. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you mentioned, you know, like monounsaturates and things like that because one of the issues I have is when people talk about saturated fat. Saturated fat isn't one entity. It, you know, it's like, so you could have good sat fat and bad sat fat, and then you've got trans fats. So you can yeah. have triglycerides that are made up of good fats or bad fats or different fats. So how how into it do you have to get to be able to look after your body when you're doing the ketogenic diet? Well, you know, for many years we were told that margarine, which yeah. is a saturated fat, that's a saturated. Um, because that's what they do. They take a, a, a polyunsaturated fat and they make it saturated because, and they don't do it completely because they, they partially hydrogenate it, which gives you the trans fats as well. So, you know, we were always told that that's what we should be eating. But I always had, um, when I wrote my book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, back in 1998, I said there are good fats and bad fats. Good fats are nature, bad fats are made by man. And, and it's worked, I, I don't see any other way of saying it, but eat fats that are made by man. And, and one of the problems we're now having with olive oil is there's fake olive oils out there. People mm. want to make money, and so they add different types of vegetable oils in there, and it could be a canola or a veg, some other vegetable oil or soya. 
So I think it's really important that people buy from a trusted company that, that make that olive oil. So these are the good fats we should be taking. Uh, one of the fats that I um, found in, the, in South America uh, was from the Inky Inchi seed. And the Inky Inchi seed, when you express the oil out of there, you cold press it, mm. is 48% omega-3. Wow. Your coconut oils are, are, are saturated fats that um, have wonderful properties because one of the things that coconut oil does um, it's got a medium chain um, triglyceride, which when you consume it goes to the liver. Mm. It makes ketones. It helps you make these ketones, um, which then fuel the body, um, especially even even when carbohydrates are available to you, it will create these ketones to fuel the body. Right. That's why you use coconut oil in things like, you know, cooking and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, no, that I do it both. Yeah. But that's the saturated fat versus poly. So saturated fat, because all the bonds are, saturated. Mm. It means when you heat it or you put it to light, it can't pull in oxygen and then become oxidized. Mm. Whereas a polyunsaturated means there's lots of spare oxygen, uh, lots of spare bonds. Mm. So oxygen goes on those bonds um, and they're the carbon bonds and they oxidize the fat. So And, and people People don't get this. People don't get that, you know, we've always cooked with saturated fat. We've always used lard yeah, and right. tallow. Yeah. I think the problem is because man will always stuff something up for commercial gain. So, for instance, you, even lard, you're now getting lard, yeah. which isn't well made. There's a type of lard that you need to get and that's all the pastry chefs, are, uh, they choose this lard. So, I think it was called Crisco. So it, it started as Crisco and it was white and in a hard block mm. and it was – the, it was the 1920s, 1930s that Procter and Gamble, who um, figured out the hydrogenation of a vegetable oil for candles and soap making, uh, realised that when they didn't need candles anymore because electricity came in, that they had this technology, and so they they called it Crisco, and it was the vegetable um, form of lard oh. or tallow. Yeah. So that that was the whole thing that they did, and I think it's called fairy here. I think I've seen it's called fairy, or, yeah, no. but I wouldn't touch Stuff it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't no. touch it with a ten no, foot no. pole. This was different. There was, was just something like you know lard from. I'm probably going to be wrong, but let's say lard from the loin area of the pig rather than oh. lard made from the belly. Let you know something like that. Yes, definitely. And look, the other thing that man has manipulated, and I'm I'm struggling with this one. Um, and I don't know if you want to go down this road, but people become lazy. They just want a pill. And so now yep. there's new keto salts that you can oh, take. Oh, that's you can right. Stay on the, yeah, you can stay on the diet that you're on, yeah. but you can now take these keto salts mm. in order to create ketosis or show that the blood and, and urine have ketones in it. And um, I did a lot of research into these, and I... I'm finding there are a lot of people getting on the bandwagon, but I think if they understood how these were made and what other ingredients they're putting in it, into them, and also, you know, there are different forms such as salts, esters, alcohols, acids. And so when we really look into what we're doing to manipulate ourselves going into ketosis without changing our diet, yeah. I think we need to consider what is it actually doing. Well, um, I'm actually wondering about, well, if you're not doing the ketogenic diet, let's say you're having pizza and mm -hmm. keto salts, you're not intaking anything of health, are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no. And this is the whole thing. I think people will do something and they'll do it incorrectly. 
they'll do it either half measure or they'll do it using some incorrect food basis. Um, look, the classic one is people who think the paleo diet is high protein. I don't think anybody proposes um, that the paleo diet is that. It's just the media has picked it up and decided that they're going to run with it and tell the world that. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, you know, I spoke to Lauren Cordain about this. Indeed, Lauren Cordain spoke at our um, first symposium and um, Pete Evans asked us if he could create the diet for lunch, a paleo diet. And when I had lunch that day, it was 90% vegetable based. But the, you know, the yeah. thing, and it really, it really opened my eyes. Indeed, there was two dietitians there. Um, they were standard, you know, teaching and they, you know, university level. And, um, you know, they were, they were sort of nodding their heads a little bit. They didn't totally agree with everything he said, but there was, most of it was nods and going, oh, I get it now. It's really interesting. Uh, look, I, I just think if we can just get back to real food. So, you know, back in the 80s when I started, it was just about getting people off the sad diet and getting them back onto real food, yeah. and they got well. Yeah. But what's happened now and why keto, you know, the, this extreme diet, because it is an extreme diet. Yeah. So we have the low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. That was extreme. Then we had Atkins, which was, you know, the high pro, he, he was mainly protein, and then he came down from there. Yes. And now we've got ketosis or, you know, high fat, low carb. It's another extreme diet. And when we do extremes, it's either because we're trying to get well and this is what's getting us well, but it's not something that we should stay on for the next four decades. It's something that we should come in and out of, most definitely get back to real foods uh, and, and do this um, and do it properly and not use these new um, supplements that are out, the, uh, the ketone salts. And, mm. and I looked up the patent um, on these ketone salts to mm. see how they were making them yeah. because I wanted to know, well, are they coming from plant? Are they coming from a plant? And they're not. They're actually um, produced by a genetically modified Escherichia coli um, oh, right. that has, yeah, that has the genes um, of another bacteria that will produce um, something called PHP, which is polyhydroxybutyrate. Then when it's been produced by that genetically modified Escherichia coli, it then goes through um, a, another step to make it beta-hydroxybutyrate. And if people knew that this is how they're making it and, and that we have never, ever eaten BHB no. in any form. No, that's right. Never eaten it. We've always produced it and the liver produces it. And so we have to consider when we start to consume these things that it may affect the microbiome. If it's a salt, it may affect um, our acid stomach. Or sorry, if it's an acid, it may protect, um, you know, cause problems with our acid stomach. It could change our osmotic pressure, our minerals. We could lose minerals, um, our acid alkaline balance, a kidney load. We've got to look at our digestive enzymes. We've got to look at the epithelial lining. We don't know the results of of doing this because it, it's a prototype. We're just in the the initial stages of it. So I'm 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 waiting for um, some long term studies before I even consider these at this point. Yeah. Um, I do know, I do believe that they're brilliant for um, therapeutic use, and Dr. Richard Veach talks about this, um, how brilliant they are to help people that who have seizures and epilepsy. Um, but he believes that it should be an ester 
um, not a salt and alcohol or an acid. Right. So, you know, there's, there's different views out there, but I believe it's like any medication. A medication is for a short period of time or to help in a condition um, that cannot be cannot cannot be changed through any other reason yeah. um, but to to take this medication. And, and that's where I see the therapeutic use of these ketone esters. Um, I'd just like to put out, point out to our listeners um, before we go on to the next question, and that is basically that the ketogenic diet has demonstrated long-term safe use um, in epilepsy. So it's not that yes. it's unsafe. It's just that it's hard to stick to. There was a high dropout rate in those people yes. that used it. And so moving on from there, how do you instigate a ketogenic diet? Do you do it slowly or do you do it like day one, here we go, and in what conditions do you choose it? Well, I would – it really depends. If, you're, if you have um, a condition where you are at crisis, then you start tomorrow. Right. It's, it's because that's what you've got to do. You're in a crisis, you're in an emergency situation. Um, you could have been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It could be you've had you know, a heart attack or you've, got, um, you've just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, um, even type 1 diabetes. So in, in my way of thinking, that's crisis. You start straight away. You just go straight into it. This is what you've got to do. Remove all these foods, put these foods in, and let's start. It may be tough. You may feel bad. Um, but over time, you will get better and better and better. There'll be symptoms that will happen that um, we've all recognized when we go into that ketogenic state if you've been on the SAD diet. Now, let's say that you're somebody who has heard about this and um, you don't really have a crisis. You um, are thinking that you should start to eat better. I would start eating better first. So get off the sad diet yep. and start on a real food diet. Even go paleo, you know, even just do that and um, and just take out grain and, and dairy. And then if you want to then step into the ketogenic diet, then step in then. Mm. You've cleaned your system out a little bit and it's not going to be so hard and you will shift into it within 24 to 48 hours in, in, in the initial stages of, right, of I see making ketones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And any red flags or cautions, like, for instance, renal disease or obviously phenylketonuria? Gout? What about gout? Now, that's an interesting one um, because there's many, many diets that I've seen with gout. You know, I've seen alcohol is a problem with gout and the, and the uric acid um, build up. But you know what? I, I haven't personally looked at any studies about gout and, and ketosis, but... I believe that it would work well because I've seen people with gout, they also have inflammation in their brain. Mm. They forget things. They not only have it in their body and in their joints, they have it in their brain. So my belief is, is that get them into a ketogenic state, it will pull the inflammation down and and therefore help the gout. But I would be monitoring them. I would, you know, because they're on drugs such as um, colchicine and allopurinol and um, I would be, you know, judging how that was going before I would, you know, keep them on it for for a long term time. Be interesting to see how how it, you know, worked though. Getting them off carbs, um, you know, this sort of high carbohydrate, high sugar type uh, influence on gout. Um, certainly, there's the purines, but the, that that sugar sort of fructose issue seems to be prevalent as well. Very much, and. Um, you know, they do say, you know, don't eat red meat um, and, you know, I can't remember the exact diet for it. But then 
then this is maybe eating fish and chicken um, as opposed to eating that red meat and maybe cutting down the amount of meat, which which is the ketogenic diet. It's mm. a small percentage is the protein. It's mainly the good quality fats. So when you're talking about these good quality fats, to get that amount in your diet, it has to be liquid or do you concentrate on solid foods? That much fat in the diet? Yeah. Well, um, I think one of the best things, and, and I've seen this work with um, Parkinson's disease as well, is is having a bulletproof coffee. You know, it's you know Dave Asprey has um, created this through going. I think he was in the Himalayas and he he had a cup of tea with yak butter in it, and then came home and put butter in coffee, and then his MCT oil. So um, that's a liquid version of um, getting these fats in, but. You can, like I, I made the other night, so I, I have um, free-range pigs and I harvested them and uh, I made a beautiful slow-cooked um, like stew. It was a, it, Actually, it was one of Pete Evans' um, stews and there's a lot of fat on those pigs and then that becomes a vegetable and, and um, meat food. Yeah. So, like... I think people haven't got the creativity anymore and that's why it's good to get some good recipe books to teach you how to make these these foods so you're not just having it in liquid form. Um, but then having said that, we could make mayonnaise with olive oil and, and coconut oil. So, you know, you could put mayonnaise on your salads with your meat. Um, pestos, you can add lots of oils to it. So I'm not one that goes... I've got to take four tablespoons of olive oil. I would rather have four tablespoons of mayonnaise or or two tablespoons of pesto or I would rather make – and my pesto is with my coconut oil as well as my inky inchy oil or my olive oil or my macadamia nut oil. So um, there are many ways to incorporate this amount of fat into the diet and it just doesn't have to be a liquid one. It can be, you know, real food. Yeah, yeah. And – do you have recipes in the Changing Habits, Changing Lives book? Definitely. Yeah. We have lots of recipes, yeah. Great. We, and, and, and it's the cookbook. We've just put a new cookbook out, um, and it's so funny. Like, I, I did my – it's not funny. I did my cookbook back in the, in the year 2000, and I was collecting recipes for probably 15 years before I finally did that cookbook. Mm. And at that stage, I didn't have to put nut – you know, so there was a nut, an egg, a uh, um, I think we have seven allergens that we now put in our, our brand new cookbook. So we say, yes, this is free from egg, wheat, gluten, um, nuts, seeds, you know, um, dairy. So we've had to do that with the new cookbook that's just come out. But the old cookbook, I, it just wasn't there. Right. So this is what's happened in, in a very short period of time. It's 17 years. But people are waking up. And... Um, and the waking up is getting back to real foods. And then if we're in a crisis state, getting into the ketogenic diet, but coming in and out of it, I think that, that that's important. And many athletes will come in and out of it because they'll need to use glucose. So if we've got a – so let's go for rather than the sick, let's go to the people that are really trying to improve their performance. So they come in and out and they'll use their glucose um, and glycogen stores as well as they'll use their ketones. So – um, we're learning to manipulate this way of um, eating in order to not only get well but be superior in our performance, brain and physical. That's really interesting. In, um, Dr. Zishan Arain, do you know him at all down in Melbourne? No. He's a, a, 
a runner. Um, he's a GP, but he is, his favorite pastime is running. And um, he decided just to try the keto diet. And he's just become a huge advocate of how to do it properly and quite an amazing man. He's got some really good mm. YouTube talks. Yeah. I have to go and listen to him. Yeah. I, I think um, Dr. McCall did a really good job of um, doing a beginner's guide to the ketogenic diet. Mm. And he basically talks about the benefits of it. And then he goes through that there are um, a few types of way of doing it. So there's this targeted ketogenic diet, which is, you know, for. Uh, something that is a, an issue, an inflammatory issue or seizures or epilepsy. He talks about the cyclical ketogenic diet, which is the one I was just talking to you about. Um, he also talks about a high-protein uh, ketogenic diet as well as the restricted ketogenic diet. And the restricted is not many, not many calories, so really lowering the amount of food that you are consuming because that was traditionally how we went into ketosis. I was looking at some papers the other week and uh, it covered the topic of mitochondrial myopathy. Now, it was a mouse study, but it was talking about the ketogenic diet significantly delaying progression of the disease. And that was using the modified Atkins diet as a ketogenic thing. So my question is, how representative of the proper ketogenic diet is the modified Atkins diet? Are they different or are they the same? The question I have to ask, though, is if humans are the only ones that produce these ketones and mice don't I cannot see in my way of thinking unless they're giving them um, acid or salt or alcohol or ester ketones how they can predict this right so I, I think it's a good way of okay well this is what we've done but we have to realize that every cell except for the liver cells will use ketones the liver makes it but it doesn't use them and we are the only animal that will will make ketones and use it. So to do my studies, I'd have to go and look at that study to see, well, how did they do that? And what was it they gave them? Did they give it a salt, an alcohol, an acid, or an ester? And was it a BHB? You know, was it um, the hydroxybutyrate or was it another ketone? So um, was, I'm, I, I think I they used a diet. I think they used a diet, yeah. but I get your point about if the, yeah. if the mice don't have... There's, it looks kind of like um, feeding rabbits cholesterol when rabbits yeah. aren't a meat eater. You know, it's like hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, like I'm when I when I when I realised that we were the only ones that did it, I went, well, we can't do my studies mm. because you're never going to get the exact results. But I shouldn't say that without reading the study and understanding the study. So mm. um, let me not question the study, but just question the idea of the yeah. study. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about genetics? Do you find that the, that the ketogenic diet has, is there any evidence out there showing that it's got better facility or better use in certain variants, certain... Um, you know, SNP alleles, for instance, with regards to not just epilepsy, but other things, even cardiovascular disease, for instance, maybe? Definitely. Hmm. Yeah. Because I'm still learning, I can't tell you exactly, you know, what those those genes are. I can't remember the, you know, the, the SNPs the or the, the name of it. I, it will be our, our SNPs that um, or our alleles, and it's how we turn them on and how we turn them off. Oh, yeah. And what foods we use and, and, and what is good for us. And innately, you will know if you are listening to your body. But 
to start listening to your body, you have to start getting well. And um, most people these days are not in a state of wellness, they're in a state of crisis mm. or ill health. You know, the more I learn, and I am not learned, but the more I learn about, <laughs> you know, our genetic alleles, our SNPs, and mm. the more research that's coming out about the dietary effects, indeed the exercise effects on our microbiota, um, I just wonder whether they are going to be the two stamp standards that you need to know to uh, to guide successful therapy in the future, to actually choose what's going to work for you and what's going to work for somebody else. And they're even doing this with medications now, even with treatment for Helicobacter pylori. There's certain alleles that will um, require a patient to use double the amount of the PPI to get the same effect on killing the um, H. pylori. So it's kind of like, you know, you need to know this stuff to diss it. You know, the, I don't think medicine's there yet, but it, this is out there. It's done. It's you know, tamoxifen. You know, they know who's going to respond and who isn't. Um, yeah, look, and it is there. And, and um, that was very much highlighted in last year's conference with Dr. Mark Houston, the cardiologist, yeah. who said that, you know, the protocol for a heart attack is, you know, five medications. I think it was beta blockers, right. aspirin, Plavax, um, cholesterol-lowering drugs, yeah. and a blood pressure yeah. tablet. He says, that's standard. Everybody gets it. Nobody, it's not questioned. But he said, what about the 50% of the population? That are going to die anyway. take aspirin. <laughs> Well, well, well <laughs> if they take aspirin, it will cause more problems and it will help. Yeah. So uh, the integrative doctors are starting, uh, you know, to do this. And nutritionists and naturopaths are way ahead. They're already, you know, looking at the, the, the DNA, you know. Mm. Now, just because you have a gene doesn't mean you can't change your potential for um health versus ill health and but it's about understanding the lifestyle changes that we you know we have to make in order to you know to do this for instance if we look at um the gene which is called gstt1 um it gives you an increased risk of vitamin c deficiencies in individuals um that and that don't meet the rdi now how many people aren't meeting the rdi to vitamin c but um, it also gives you action steps, and the action steps are to make sure that you're eating foods that are high in vitamin C. You know, it's not hard. Mm. Just more oranges, more watermelons, more strawberries, organic if you can get them. So we can, we actually can understand each of the these things and understand the lifestyle changes. And, and this is what we call nutrigenomics. And we know that nutrition is not about just growth and um, fueling us to have energy to do the things that we want to do. It's actually speaking. Food speaks to our genetics. And if we give it the wrong food, that speech to those genetics is going to come unplugged and we're going to um, present with all sorts of diseases. But if we give the food to our genetics and speak to it in the way that it has been spoken to for a million years through the generations and the same types of foods that we have eaten and adapted to, then we're going to present with health. And I think nutrigenomics is, is going to be a – epigenetics and nutrigenomics yeah. is going to be the most powerful tool yeah. um, to get people uh, well who um, – we're, we're, we're struggling to get them well because we don't – we're just giving them standard of care, which is you have this, you take this drug. Yeah. yeah. It's going to personalise medicine. 
you know, yeah, like yeah, personalized medicine. That's yeah. it. You were talking about, um, you know, putting people on five medications, and what I was talking about is basically if you look at standard cardiac care um, post infarct, you're going to have up to well, some people say fifty percent. What I've read is around about the forty percent. There's residual risk. So even if you do best, quote unquote, standard care, um, you're going to have almost half of those people that are still going to have an event or, or a death, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's kind of like, well, this isn't, shouldn't we really be looking at this personalised medicine? So we really need to be looking further into the genomics of it. I'm excited. Mm. I, look, it, it actually excites me what, what we're learning. And <laughs> So just, just on the last point, Cindy, where yeah. can prackies get good resources to learn how to instigate, how to manage um, the the appropriate use of the ketogenic diet, indeed how to sway from the ketogenic diet onto then a more cultural type whole food diet? Well, as I mentioned before, I think Dr. McCullough has done a really good job of just summarising it very quickly and very easy. Food mm-hmm. you're allowed, food you're not allowed, um, what it does, um, what effects you may have as a, as a result of it. I like, I, and, it, and it's free online. You don't, you don't have to pay for it. Um, I really like Mark Sisson's information. So Mark Sisson um, talks about is, con- is um, constant ketosis necessary? So you can go on his Mark's um, Daily Apple. I think Peter Attia, he's a medical doctor, is worth listening to his stuff. So A-T-T-I-A. Uh, I, I really like Dominic D'Agostino. He was the one who figured out um, how to stop Navy SEALs uh, having uh, when they co- couldn't blow oxygen because yeah. they would be detected, how to get them, uh, I can't remember the exact um, terminology that he uses, but how to not let them have seizures um, by having by eating the ketogenic diet. So Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, so I'm sure you probably... We're talking about um, nitrogen. Oh, nitrogen. Yeah, yeah, nitrogen sickness. Like, um, they had seizures as yeah, a result yeah, yeah. of it, and yeah. Dominic D'Agostino um, figured out if they went on the ketogenic diet, they wouldn't have it. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he's really fascinating. His his work um, on on what he's done. He's actually done a patent. So if you go um, to the patents, you, you can look up patents and and find out how people do these things. He's actually got this amazing um, philosophy of how to get them into that state. Um, and it's free online. You just go patent by Dominic D'Agostino. Um, I can actually send you these links if you'd like. Yes, you please. Can put them on the show notes. Yes, yeah, please. That's what I'll do. I'll send you all of these um, links so you can put them on the show notes. So there is so much online and there's so much information on it. Um, but my my one caveat with it is don't stay on it. Come in and out of it unless it's for therapeutic use. Um, and number two is be very wary of any supplements at this point. Yep. It's a prototype. We don't know the long-term effects of these supplements. So they would be my two things that I, I would really like to um, let practitioners know about because I do know a lot of practitioners that are starting to sell these supplements to their patients. Right. Really understanding them yep. and understanding what this is all about. What about using a food um, product, though, um, medium chain triglycerides? What about its use? Caprylic acid or um, MCP, what that does is it makes the liver make the ketones. So definitely go there. They, they work perfectly. Okay. And 
Um, and they, ha- I like um, Dr. Veach works with a gentleman who has Parkinson's, and he's had it, I think, for about 15 years. He does a bulletproof every single morning right. um, in order to bring his ketones up. And remembering that ketones only stay in the blood for about six hours if you consume, um, you know, so MCT, it will stay in it for about six hours. So then you need to do it again to keep those ketones up. And the same with the ketones that you consume. They don't stay in the system for 24 hours. They'll only stay in the system a couple of hours. And if it's a salt, then you have to keep taking it, and then you take way too much salt. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah we, we could go on about that, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much once again. I, I've got to say I love the way that you bring everything back, concentrating on whole natural foods. And I would urge everybody to read your book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, to get some recipes, if nothing else, but also the good tips, good healthy tips that you have and that you give for um, practitioners, indeed lay people, for, um, you know, to get out of the sad diet. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate that, Andrew. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Hi, I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Here at FX Medicine, we strive to remain clinically relevant, So stay in touch with us and please let us know how we're doing. We love hearing from you. You can email info at fxmedicine.com.au or contact us via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.